Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from the Horsham Church of Christ. For more information, please visit our website at www.horsham.org.au. All right. Uh, very, uh, very excited today uh, for today's message. Uh, as always, today's scripture is in your YouVersion Bible app if you'd like to follow along in that. Otherwise, we're continuing our series of disciple generations, uh, working our way through the pastoral epistles, uh, with Paul's letters to Timothy and Titus. Uh, and today, would you give a very warm welcome to Glenda Ruolt as she comes and preaches, please. Good morning. Thank you that you've got your Bibles out. The Bible is the Word of God and we are privileged to hold the Word of God in our hands. I'd like to take a moment with you today to please close your eyes and to think of a time when you were aware of the presence of Jesus. Perhaps when you first were reading about him in the Word, you sensed his presence. And as I say that, I recognise that maybe not everyone's had that experience. Please bear with us this moment. Perhaps you were listening to a podcast or some teaching, reading the Bible, or it was the witness of a friend by word or example. Let's just take a moment to sit in that space. Father God, we thank you for Jesus. Thank you for all that Jesus is, all that he has done, and all that he is yet to do in us and among us. Come Holy Spirit and burn like a fire in our hearts today and awaken us to a deeper walk with you today. And we pray in his mighty name. Amen. A few years ago, for the first time in my life, I had the experience of being in a courtroom of law. And while I was there, I gained a greater understanding and a deeper appreciation of what Jesus has done for me. And that's not something that I was expecting to gain from that experience. My first impression as I walked into the courtroom was that this is an important place and there's protocols in place. And that instant knowing within me that this is a place of quiet and of silence sometimes and a deep respect for the law and that you don't speak unless you've been spoken to. Everyone was asked to stand as the magistrate came in and as she took her seat, we were then directed to sit down also. I was struck by her clear composure and the sense of calm that came with her and the confidence with which she did her task, the way she was able to ask questions to gain information that she needed to make her decisions. And there was no arguments with her decisions because she was the person in that room that had the authority to make them. I also sensed in her a compassion and an understanding for the people that came before her. She spoke to them very respectfully I'm sure that made no difference to the outcomes for those people, but she was kind and she was merciful in the way that she spoke to them and her attitude towards them. So the claims of the law were stated 
and the balance of justice was weighed, and there was a price that was named, and there were consequences that followed. And for days after that experience, I pondered on the parallels that were be between that experience and our experience of coming before a holy God. On this hand, we have the Lord God Almighty. He is holy. Sin cannot be in his presence. He's a God of love. He loves each one of us more than, we, <clears throat> more than we will ever know or understand. He's a faithful God. He never goes back on his word. He's merciful and kind. And he's a just God. Those things never change about God. God's word says God is the same yesterday, today and forever. And on the other hand, we have mankind, beginning with Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve who lived in the Garden of Eden, the perfect paradise, in harmony with God. They walked and talked in the cool breeze of the evening with the Lord God Almighty. Can you imagine that? All was at peace. Until that day when they chose to disobey the one instruction that God had given them. And that was not to eat from the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And as they did that, sin entered the human race. And we today have all descended from that beginning. We are all part of the sinful human race. God sent Adam and Eve out of the garden because sin could not live there. The perfect harmony was broken. And there was now a deep and wide rift, chasm between God and mankind. And there was no way across it. That perfect relationship was broken. Now God still loves his people. He's still holy, he's still love, he's still merciful, kind, just. And all through the Old Testament we read stories of the people of Israel coming and bringing offerings to atone for their sin. They brought birds and animals that were blood offerings at the temple to atone for their sin. And the priest of the Old Testament would come into the Holy of Holies once a year into the very presence of God to plead for forgiveness of the nation's sin. And those offerings were ongoing and continual because sin was ongoing and continual. Back to the Garden of Eden. Father God, Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit sat down together what could be done about this chasm, about this breach with our people? How could it be fixed? And Father God had a plan, a plan from long, long ago, and he shared that plan. And Jesus said, I will go. I will step down from my place beside the Father. I will put down my power and authority and position, and I will go to the world. And I will live there and teach them of God, and I will go to the cross. Because I am a sinless God and a sinless man, I am the perfect offering. I will be a once, only and forever offering for the sin of mankind. And so that's what happened. In the fullness of time, in God's perfect timing, Jesus was born into our world as a child. He grew up in a Jewish family. He worked as a carpenter with his father. At the age of 30, he was baptised in the Holy Spirit and began his ministry in the world. And for three years, he taught about God and he displayed the awesome, majestic, life-changing power of God. And then he went to the cross. 
He became the sacrifice. He took our sin upon himself. He paid the price for our sin. He took our place and he died. And then three days later, he rose again in that awesome resurrection power of God. And the curse of sin was broken. And Jesus said, it is finished. And we sang this morning, my chains have gone. I've been set free. My God, my saviour has ransomed me. Like a flood, his mercy reigns, unending love, amazing grace. And Jesus returned to the, his father's side in heaven. And Jesus turns to the father and he says, I have been the sacrifice. I have taken the sin of the world upon myself and I have died. I have paid the price. God's holiness is satisfied. God's justice is satisfied. And Jesus turns to mankind and he says, will you accept me? Will you accept that I took your place, that I paid the price for your sin, that I took your sin unto death, and that in dying and rising again that your relationship is now restored with the Father? And that's as simple as it is to say yes to Jesus, to acknowledge that I am a sinner, to acknowledge that he paid the price for me, and to say yes to him and allow him to be the life, the truth and the way in my life and to know that I can be in relationship with the Father and have eternity with him forever. So Jesus is called our mediator. He's the one who represents us. He's the one who went between us. He's the one that bridged the chasm. And today that's the big thought that we're going to be looking at from the scriptures in Timothy and Titus that we, um, that we have before us today in the series Building the Church and Discipling Generations. Thanks, Gary. And while we're talking about what we're doing as a church, how are you going with your one thing? You may remember on the first week of the series that Simon challenged us to think of one thing, to select one thing that we could do across these 12 weeks that would help us to step one, one step further into our relationship with Jesus. So things were suggested like reading through the books of Timothy and Titus, committing to be at worship for these 12 weeks so that we get the full picture of this whole series, which is really foundational for us as a church. Or if we can't be here, that we tune into the podcast during the week. Or maybe there's something else that God's put on your heart personally for you to do to step closer to him. If you haven't thought of that thing yet, keep thinking, keep listening to God. And if you've started, well done. Keep going and be strong. It takes strength to go for 12 weeks. So let's look at these scriptures for today. 1 Timothy 2, 3 to 7, and they're on the screen here for us. This is good and pleases God our Saviour. And we're going to return to the prior verses a little bit later to find out what is good. God our Saviour wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. For there is one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity the man Jesus Christ. He gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. This is the message God gave to the world at just the right time. And I have been chosen as a preacher and apostle to teach the Gentiles this message about truth and faith. I'm not exaggerating, I'm just telling the truth. This is Paul, Paul the Apostle, who um, has been chosen by God, and he was sharing this good news with the world. 1 Timothy 3, 16. Without question, 
This is the great mystery of our faith. Christ was revealed in a human body and vindicated by the Spirit. He was seen by angels and announced to the nations. He was believed in throughout the world and taken to heaven in glory. That's a very simple snapshot of Jesus' life. And my Bible notes say that these verses were actually an ancient hymn that was sung by the early church. Singing scripture is a really great way to remember scripture and to have it recalled in our mind. Um, today we sing, I believe in God the Father, I believe in Christ the Son, I believe in the Holy Spirit, and it's going in your head already, isn't it? <laughs> it cements the truth in our spirits. Titus 2, verse 11. For the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. Grace. The grace of God is Jesus Christ. His abundant mercy and boundless love poured out for each one of us, and this is displayed in Jesus Christ. So that's Jesus, our mediator. And I've put in another scripture here that also ties in with Jesus as a mediator. It comes from Hebrews 7.25. Jesus is our mediator in the fact that he took our place and made our relationship right with God. He's also our mediator between us and God now as he intercedes for us. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Isn't that an amazing thought that Jesus Christ, the son of the living God, seated at God's right hand, is praying for you and me personally? My Bible notes say, as our high priest, Christ is our advocate, the mediator between us and God. He looks after our interests and intercedes for us with God. The Old Testament priest went before God once a year to plead for the forgiveness of the nation's sin. Christ makes perpetual intercession before God for us. Perpetual means ceaseless, constant, enduring and eternal. Christ makes ceaseless, constant, enduring, eternal intercession before God for us for you and me. It's powerful stuff, isn't it? What he does for us, what he has done, and what he is still doing. Jesus, our mediator, and Jesus, our intercessor. Powerful, powerful words. 2 Timothy 2, 11 to 13. This is a trustworthy saying. If we die with him, we will also live with him. If we endure hardship, we will reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are unfaithful, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny who he is. That's God's unchangingness. He is faithful. He can't be unfaithful. So if we die with him, if we accept Jesus, we die with him in his death and we are born to a new life, life forever with the Father and live forever with him. Promising that it might not be easy because we may have to endure hardship, but he promises that he's with us always and that he will give us strength for whatever is before us and we will reign with him. And there's the challenge again. If we deny him, he will deny us. Jesus asks, will you accept me? And it's our choice whether we say yes or no. 1 Timothy 3, 14 and 15. The truths of our faith. 
I'm writing these things to you now, even though I hope to be with you soon, so that if I'm delayed, you will know how people must conduct themselves in the household of God. This is the church of the living God, which is the pillar and foundation of the truth. I love those words. The church, the pillar and foundation of the truth. The church of the living God. Strong, mighty. This is Paul the Apostle, wanting, hoping, planning to visit these churches, but just in case it's not going to happen, he writes a letter instead. And the church down the generations has been blessed by the letters that Paul wrote to many of the early churches. We have them in the New Testament. So here are his instructions. These are his instructions to Timothy and Titus, who were leading these churches that Paul had originally planted. And they are young leaders and young churches. This is directions that they received and they were important to them now, then, and they're just as important to us now, if not more. 1 Timothy 2.8 Therefore I encourage the men to pray on every occasion with hands lifted to God in worship, with clean hearts, free from frustration or strife. Several instructions there. To pray on every occasion, not just Sundays, on every occasion. To pray with holy hands and clean hearts. And here God's talking about confession, acknowledging that we are sinful, coming to him in repentance and receiving his forgiveness, laying down the things that are between us and him so that we have a clean, direct line to God, so that we receive his cleansing and forgiveness. Because we've been set free by the blood of Jesus, we can live in his light. So that, you may have noticed, was the instructions to men. Verses 9 and 10, and that women would also pray with clean hearts. So there we are, we're all together in that now. We're all to pray all the time with clean hearts. And that the women would be dressed appropriately and adorned modestly and sensibly, not flaunting their wealth. But they should be recognised indeed by their beautiful deeds of kindness, suitable as one who worships God. There's an, a simple instruction there to, for women to be dressed modestly and sensibly. That says it all. God is looking more at our inner heart, at our inner beauty that flows from knowing Jesus and from the joy that flows from our hearts because we know him. And these things will be expressed in beautiful deeds of kindness. Not that we are saved by our deeds, but these flow from our response to God and what he has done for us. Now let's go back to 1 Timothy 2 and read verses 1 and 2 because these are also instructions about worship. I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them, intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. This is good and pleases God our Saviour who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. And again, there's an emphasis on prayer. God is calling the young church to pray. He's saying how important this is. And it's just as important for us today, if not more important, that we rise as a church to pray. The second sentence tells us how. <clears throat> Ask God to help them, intercede on their behalf, and give thanks for them. 
And then there's a clear instruction to pray for leadership. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority. So here in our church, that would be Simon and Jared as our pastors, our ministry staff and our ministry leaders. Thinking outside of this building, <clears throat> there would be the other Christian churches in Horsham and the pastors of those. For the leadership in our community of councillors, our civic leaders, our mayor. For people who work in health and business, education, these are all leaders in our community. The police, the emergency workers, the ambulance people. And thinking beyond Horsham to our region, our state, our nation and our world. That's part of all people. Now many of these we don't know and I'm quite sure we won't know them all. But that doesn't mean that we can't pray for them. And we might not like them and we might not agree with them either. But God simply says to pray for them. I've thought of this in a similar way when I've thought about God's commandments to us in the very beginning. The fourth commandment is honour your parents. Simply says, honour your parents. And one of the ways we can honour our parents is to pray for them. For some of us, our parents are great people. We've had a great childhood. We've had everything needed to nurture and grow us in the way that we needed to. We've grown on, gone on to have our own families and our parents are now involved as grandparents. Great part of our family. Honour these people. Pray for them. Easy. Tick. Others of us may have had different experiences. We may have had parents who were absent parents, parents who struggled with their own issues and they were really not able to parent in the way that God intended. Parents who perhaps haven't provided a safe place for us as children, parents who've struggled with addictions, Honouring these parents and praying for them is a more complex and challenging choice, but it still remains. Honour your parents. Honour your parents and pray for them. And from my Sunday school years, the verse that from Ephesians comes, honour your father and mother, you will prosper and live a long, full life. That's in Ephesians chapter 1, chapter 6. And similarly, if we go back to this scripture in Timothy, where we are asked to pray for kings and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. It sounds to me like almost a promise that if we pray, this will be the result. And if this is the result that we're looking for in our world, but maybe we need to pray. A challenge for you and for me. The last scripture, Titus 2. We are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. There again is that call to purity, to cleansing and forgiveness. We should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness and devotion to God. And these are the things that flow through us as we say yes to Jesus, as we confess our sins, receive his forgiveness and cleansing. These things flow through us and they are a witness to God in our community and to the world around us, that they will see Jesus also. While we look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, will be revealed. 
the day Jesus returns. He gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us and make us his very own people, totally committed to good deeds. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you have done for us. And as I pray, I think of the words of an old song, a scripture in song. I am covered over with the robe of righteousness that Jesus gives to me. I am covered over with the precious blood of Jesus and he lives in me. What a joy it is to know our Heavenly Father loves us so and gives to me my Jesus. When he sees not what I used to be, when he looks at me, he sees not what I used to be. He sees Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that you are our covering, that the Father sees you when he looks at us. Thank you that you have made us holy in Jesus' name. Thank you for the price that you paid for taking our place. Thank you for restoring us back into relationship with Jesus Christ, with the Heavenly Father, with the Holy Spirit. Help us, Lord, not to take these things for granted. Holy Spirit, we invite you to cement these truths in our heart. Draw us close to you. Help us to come in prayer to you, in purity, to be a witness to those around us. Burn in us like a fire, Lord God. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.